The short game is listener-supported on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and join us on our Discord, head to theshortgame.net or patreon.com slash theshortgame. The short game. This is a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and I am joined this week by two very cool co-hosts, Nate Eininger and Shane Kelly. And this week we are talking about Monster Train. No, this is not our spooky season Halloween game. We're a little late for that, but this isn't really the Halloweeny sort of monsters. This is Monster Train, a deck-building roguelike about angels and <laughs> demons. Those sorts of monsters. I think it fits right in. I think if it, we're we're rounding out, we're 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 sort of smoothing out of spooky season. We did a, we did a legit spooky game, you know, for once this season. Uh, but you know, we're here back with a monster game. Uh, if I had played this game earlier, this might have been my Halloween costume. It's like an entire monster train, which would have been awesome. But. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Your face could be the pyre. It'd be awesome. <laughs> Sweet choo-choo train costume, buddy. <laughs> so we're a little late to the party on this. Uh, Monster Train is uh, it's from a developer called Shiny Shoe. I am not familiar with them. Um, uh, but they uh, came out with this game uh, last year, May 21st of 2020. Uh, and uh, we are talking about this here in the depths of 2021. Uh, it came out on... Nintendo Switch more recently, but even that we're kind of late to the party. That came out in August with so a kind of complete edition called uh, Monster Train First Class. Uh, but uh, this game, I think it's, even though I think this did really, really well, I think it probably isn't too hard for folks to have missed this one if this isn't a genre that you specifically keep your ear to the ground about. We'll talk about the artwork in a little bit, but like this is not a game that jumps off of a Steam page or even like a Twitter GIF at me. Uh, yeah, I am no. really surprised how much I enjoyed this game because I did not expect to love it based on its art style or even kind of its genre, which is a, a, a sort of hot and cold for me. But yeah, let's do, well, we were before we dive into talking specifically about Monster Train, um, because this is a deck building roguelike, a strategy deck building roguelike, and that is such a very specific genre space. Before we dive in and talk about this game specifically, it might be a good idea for us to just give like a high level overview of like what is a deck building roguelike and why is this a thing in 2021? I'd love to get into that. Uh, the thing about deck building roguelikes is you can really draw a straight line to them from the thing that Reagan always groans when I bring it up on the podcast, which is Magic the Gathering. So just as Richard Garfield uh, intended as he created magic the gathering we have you know things have evolved and i I think that probably the biggest uh step in between would be uh deck building card games like dominion and then there's been a long lineage of those uh but when you really start seeing this hit video games um there's a few but combine everything everything combines well with roguelikes i think uh this is just kind of a truism in all video game genres now the roguelike structure is just the way that a lot of genres try to bake in a little bit more replayability i would add though shane i agree with you that like i think you can make almost any game a roguelike it'd be fun um but like deck building is particularly adept to roguelikes because part of the 
most fun of any deck building game, whether it be uh, physical or on or on uh, digital, is actually building the deck and like iterating on your deck. And so being able to do it over and over and over and try different things makes the deck lo- the <laughs> deck building format fit perfectly for roguelikes where you may start over and play the game 150 different times. Uh, it's perfect. I, I, I think it's, you know, I think monster, tra- monster train might be the most ex- like, we're going to talk about this a lot in this episode. This might be the most like extreme version of this mechanic. Uh, it's hard to imagine it getting any more complex than this. It is highly experimental. Really <laughs> yeah. Around a lot in, in this one. Um, and I mean, I think that that kind of experience of like deck building, that is the f- one of the huge elements of fun of any of these card games, because, you know, you're c- trying to build something that lets you capitalize on controlling for the randomness of drawing cards out of a deck full of random cards, um, which is why my favorite way to play magic is to play uh, a draft where you get to build the deck right then and there. Uh, but that is all I have to say about magic. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Reagan. Uh, the genre of deck building roguelikes really but, doesn't. By the go way, I do not. I do not far. believe you that that is all you have to say about magic. And I am. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna make a sound every time you uh, you say Magic: The Gathering on this episode. Okay. <laughs> Fine. Fine. As long as that sound is a air horn uh, to show how pumped you are. The um, <laughs> I think the first a game that really I became aware of in the genre it was Slay the Spire. Uh, but I I do know that Hand of Fate was also really popular. It came out like the year before or one or two years before. Uh, but really, even that isn't all that far back. That's like 2015, 2017. Um, and Slay the Spire did this really amazingly well. We on this show for a podcast that's about short games have covered a remarkable percentage of this overall genre, which is <laughs> a massive time sink genre. Especially considering that almost none of them actually qualify as short games if you come right down to it. Well, well, let's hold on. Let's not jump to any, you know, what we talk about is it's a game that respects your time, right? We are anti the games that are just like, you know, doing the same thing over and over and over. (laughs) Unlike a roguelike. Hold on, though. (laughs) It is a unique experience every time, right? It's a unique Mm -hmm. experience that you are controlling and any, any one run can especially like slay the spire this game's a little bit longer even though it's also more condensed we'll, we'll get into it but uh it, it's um slay the spire once you get good at it like a run normally doesn't take more than an hour so it's actually like i still play slay the spire because it's the perfect kind of game mm-hmm. for someone who doesn't have a ton of time to play video games i can sit down i can fire up slay the spire or whatever deck building roguelike uh you know, that I'm playing and I can know that I'm going to have a complete experience in that one sitting, which you can't say about, you know, the games that we are, that we tend to rail against the like hundred hour experiences where it's like, you know, 20% of it was cool and exciting. And then 80% of it was like kind of just doing the same thing and over and over to get to that, to that experience. So 
But that's the same. We so we I, do this every time. I've we heard do. I've heard all of your rationalizations. Every I know. Time. Hearing all of them since since we did mm-hmm. our FTL episode in like the first right. like five episodes of the show. Nate, the long standing <laughs> roguelike exception continues. Yeah, I'm, I'm not bitter. I'm I I I like these games. Sure. <laughs> Sure, they fit our format, Nate. Sure. I wish you could all see that <laughs> Reagan's doing this thing with his face right now where he's like leaning in and he's trying to be all coy and like and, – and it's not working, okay, Reagan? <laughs> <laughs> Look, okay, the, we, we keep doing these, uh, these deck-building roguelikes because Shane loves Magic the Gathering and likes roguelikes. Nate loves roguelikes and likes Magic the Gathering. And I'm just I'm just on long for the ride, guys. I'm here. Like I'm doing my best. All right. Uh, okay, but since so so in the last few years, we we might have overdone it a little bit, but I think the industry as a whole has maybe overdone it. In twenty nineteen, we had Griftlands. Great. In twenty nineteen, we had Dicey Dungeons. Yeah. In twenty nineteen oh, now yeah. in twenty twenty, uh Monster Train, Signs of the Sojourner. And oh. now 2021 Inscription, which I already have planned to play. Uh, I have started it for this show. So You know what? That I, sounds like we need more of these games because that's like one or two a year. That's not enough. Get out there. I feel like we need a short game spinoff or something for the for these. Well, the perpetual game is what we have to call it, man, because these yeah. are not games that are meant to be played. Like as, as short as the play sessions are and with all of the caveats that Nate said, which, you know, I I agree with. But these are... These are also easily classified as perpetual games. These are games yeah. that you are meant to play again and again, essentially forever. You know, there, there are endings to this game, but you have to kind of decide for yourself when you're done with one of these. There's in unless you're an absolute god and have all the time in the world, there's really no like actual end to a lot of these games. There's always a sort of Nate smiling because he's, he's the God Uh, because these are games that most normal people will play. Like, okay, here's my experience of deck building roguelikes in typical fashion. I, I, I play these games for about three to 10 hours and then I'm done with them. And I think that's actually probably not yeah. that far off for most people. If you look at the how long to beat on this, which is very hard to interpret for a game like this. Like, I don't know how people are actually recording their progress on there. But, like, they list um, the, like, completion at, like, three hours. And, like, the, like, co- wait, sorry, the, like, the basic, like, what do they call that? Those the versions of their playthroughs, like the completionist the basic playthrough. and completionist. Yeah, the basic playthrough is like three hours, and the quote unquote completionist, like do everything, is something like three hundred hours. Yeah. Um, and so, how much of any it's one of these spread. types of games you play is really <laughs> going to be up to you and how you engage with the game and the genre, whether it clicks with you, the, the mechanics click with you, etc. Yeah. So, like, is this a short game? That depends on your brain mostly, not on the. Yeah. Game. And I think. Um, oh, one quick. I wanted to call out Shane when you were listing those listing the games. Do just want to give a shout out to the Meteor Fall games made by oh, fr- yeah. made uh, by friend of the show Eric Ferrero. Um, those actually probably qualify best of all of these because they are deck building roguelikes that you also probably can get pretty close to 100%ing the game in like a reasonable amount of time. Unlike a Slay the Spire or a Monster Train, which is truly going to like if you want to uh, max out everything, it is, yeah, for sure, hundreds of hours. And I think that is part of why, though, these games have huge followings and you know they sell really well but they don't often like have a lot of staying power i mean slay the spire is considered 
incredibly influential, right? But you don't see it still being played a lot other than in its tight-knit community. I think Monster Train at least was recommended to me about every three weeks for the last year and a half since it came out. But I think it is, it is a, this game is so dense and so packed with like every single, like, I think this is the most systems heavy game that we've ever done. And unless you are like very crunchy. Yeah. Unless you are like really into this thing, like you're not going to play it more than a handful of times because you can beat it pretty quickly. You might beat it on your first Mm -hmm. or second run. And then you might say, well, that was fun, you know, and then run it a few more times and then be done with it. Unlike myself, who I am somewhere around my 40th run on this game and I'm all in on it. I love it. Uh, You know, I I think it's made for people like me and Shane, you know, but it doesn't surprise me if a lot of people played this you know, 10 to 20 runs, win a good amount of them, and then go, I don't have the, uh, like, uh, desire to pay attention as much as these games require. Like, this game is so dense. It's, it's, it's impressive. It truly is. But I can see why, I don't, I can see why this is a niche, a more niche game. I, I agree with Nate in that it is a, it is a systems heavy and dense game. But like, when I hear, uh, crunchy, dense game, lots of systems, really, really deep. Uh, I, I immediately start like backing away in some cases because right. like, I start worrying that it's not going to be um, approachable. And especially when I'm familiar with this genre and have had experiences with games like Slave Aspire where I enjoyed that game, but it, it required me to bring a lot of myself to it. And it was not particularly interested in like making me feel smart or good as I was doing <laughs> it or learning it. Um, whereas this game, like the the number one thing that I think stands out to me about this game, as opposed to almost any other game in the genre that I've touched, is how uh, how much this game is constantly putting little rewards in front of you. It is constantly patting you on the back for your, for your successes. And it's constantly dangling new and interesting little things in front of you. It's, it's, um, uh, you know, it's, it also feels while it's more complicated than slay the spire in some ways, it feels to me less complicated in some ways. Um, I think if you objectively like wrote down all of the systems and mechanics in here, it probably is more complicated even than a very complex game like Slay the Spire. But I constantly felt like I was getting it yeah, uh, in a way that I didn't always because I wasn't, I wasn't always on the verge of death, right? I wasn't, it wasn't a constant scrabble for every inch follow, ending un, invariably with death. This yeah. game is very much more, approachable at least i think it's a lot more approachable in terms of the way that it's uh, mechanics and it's like reward structure works like it made me feel like this is something i can do yeah um, more than any game like this i've played the thing that i really like here that is very different from some of the other games in this genre that i've played is that it feels very much more approachable like you said it is very complicated in terms of just the if you were to write out a rule book for it but in general it tends to err on the side of presenting you with like two or three fairly positive choices at a lot of these little decision points. Uh, And there's just not a ton of ways that you can make like a huge mistake at the, you know, at the level in Slay the Spire, you can pick like the wrong direction on the map and be like kind of, kind of effed, you know, or, or, or miss out on something really big that, uh, that could get you a, a nice advantage in, in this game, like, 
it doesn't feel like there was a lot of wrong choices. And then on top of that, it does feel like this game really wants you to succeed. I got a faster uh, um, kind of first successful run on this game than I did in any previous deck building roguelike. Um, it was much less punishing in that way. And I think that's kind of an intent. I think it's really interesting to try to make a game like this, like where they, it's basically like, we know you're going to be replaying this. So why make the first successful run such yeah. an intense hurdle like so many of yeah, these what, do? Like you, th- these games want you to stick around and some games, I think Slay the Spire included, but tons of these types of games, the way they want you to stick around is like, you are motivated to win, right? Well, we're going to make sure it takes you 10, 12 hours to get one of get your first win, right? Whereas this game is like, oh, you like this? Like three hours. Here, win one yeah. in the first hour. And um, and it knows that there's other there's other interesting stuff. It's got all of these clans and all these other other mechanics. And that it's going to escalate right the there. difficulty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's uh, it, it's willing to like it's willing to let you win one in order to make you feel like you know that you know like like you like you can do it. And there's a lot fewer fights between you and that ending. Yeah. So so that's what I was going to say short. is um, I think they do this in a number of ways. I, I completely agree. Though I will say that like I think the first run on Slay the Spire wasn't dramatically different of a difficulty level than this one. Um, but it get the, eh. the, the ascension, <laughs> the ascension, you, buddy, the ascension. So a lot of these games, you, every time you beat it, they like add a layer of difficulty. So the first one is inherently the easiest and every game, every run gets more and more difficult by adding. Now the enemies have plus two attack, you know, now they, come in with more health. Now there's more of them, whatever it may be. It stacks and it stacks And this game very quickly gets a lot harder. So I do agree with you that mm-hmm. like the first run is I think more understandable um, or, or more achievable to win very quickly. Um, but this game is not a like easier game in that regard. It gets very complicated, True. very fast. And, and I also want to say when I say this game is like super dense and super, um, complicated. I don't necessarily mean that it's like more difficult to learn. They actually, I think the tool tipping and the overall like way in which this game educates you is fantastic. When I talk about density, I mean the degree of procedural generation in this game and the degree of potential outcomes that are in front of you with every single run is far va- more vast than like a game like slay the spire. Um, you know, I think we should talk a little bit more about how the, this game is set up. Cause then we can get into like yes. some of the mechanics. So, um, we've already talked about deck builders. I don't, you know, I don't think we necessarily need to go into the deck building mechanic anymore, but, uh, the thing that like sets this game up that I think is, you know, is, is different and unique is first of all, you're playing a monster train that is burning its way through hell, uh, hell has been frozen over by uh, the angels of heaven and you and your monster train are fighting back. The first sentence in this game is go to hell, which I love. That's so funny. Uh, and <laughs> it is a um, you have this the, the map that's in front of you is you have four floors. The top floor is your pyre and it has health. At the end of the day, that is the deciding factor. If your if your pyre gets reduced to zero, game over. And then there are three floors below it. Each floor has a certain amount of like um, space for you to place your monsters, your you know your heroes. 
And enemies, other than a few situations, will always come in at the bottom floor. On each turn, you have a deck of cards in front of you and a certain action pool, just like all of these games, you know. Uh, you'll have three three actions. Most cards cost one, some cost two, some cost three, some even cost more. Uh, you play as many cards as you can, and then you hit go. And this game actually has like full-on little animations where the the uh, creatures on each floor fight each other and they like go back and forth and you and you see them hit each other. And the fight starts at the top floor and works its way down. All of the monsters that survive from each floor move up to the next floor. So it has a, um, uh, Oh my God. What's the, uh, yeah. Tower defense. Uh, it has a tower defense element to it, which I love. I think that's so, that's why I think one of the big, um, like inventions of this game is bringing in tower defense into roguelike deck building, which I, yeah, which is such a cool combo. (laughs) Yeah. And and specifically like what I was reminded of most there, it's like, it's not like the, um, the sort of free form tower defense, uh, it, it's most like um, uh, Plants vs. Zombies you yeah. know, with the lanes. Yeah. It's very sort of like lane-based like that game is, and you're kind of placing your little crowd of, of monsters on one side. Lanes full of little angel monsters are coming from the other side, and they fight. And the fights are also very deterministic. That was another thing that I was sort of surprised about here. There's, there's, I think, almost no randomness here. And you, you can see in advance before yeah. the fight happens, like what's what the outcome is going to be. You get to see the fight play out, but it's not like you're biting your nails watching them fight. You kind of know what's going to happen beforehand yeah. because it'll show you like how many points they have, how much damage they're going to do, if someone's going to die, that kind of thing. It's pretty, and that's another way where this game is accessible. It is, you have full information. You know exactly what they're going to do. And they always go first, which is a key element. So you always know the monsters are, or the the angels are going to go first, and then your monsters go second. Um, and then if you are, besides placing um, monsters, which they're all, this is like standard D and D. The cards even look like D and D, right? It's like mm-hmm. big image. Yeah, we and, need to talk about the art yeah, as well. By the and way. then they Let's have uh, it. it has an attack and it has a defense, and um, you know. It, you you're trying to um, kill all the angels before they get up and destroy your pyre. And one of the other elements of like complexity that I, I keep talking about, like the density, you know, most of most roguelike deck builders or deck builders, you're kind of managing like one thing in front of you, whether it's a like invisible pool of resources that you have and expend in that turn or, in some deck building games and video games, you have like a, a physical re- or a character representation in front of you. You're normally dealing with like kind of one thing in front of you. This, you are managing three floors. And so the game really comes down to creating these like micro ecosystems where each floor is supporting itself. You know, you might have a creature that um, when it gets hit, it applies damage bonuses to everyone on its floor. So you might put that one in front and then put behind it a uh, monster that has maybe low health, but can attack multiple times. And so you have your like tank in the front who is 
taking most of the damage. Every time he gets hit, it's making your high damage guy stronger. And then on the second floor, you might have a uh, guy that has like spikes and high health and someone behind him who boosts spell attack damage, right? And you create these, much like a tower defense game, you're creating this system that ultimately you're hoping to wear down the enemies before they reach the pyre. And it's really, really satisfying. And, and there's usually about seven or eight turns. And then every third floor, there's a boss, which is uh, they're going to come in and they're going to go until they either die or destroy your pyre. Um, and ultimately, there's only eight fights, nine if you're playing with the um, the DLC. So you are really ramping up for like very few actual fights. And I think that's another part about this game. Shane, you said it, that like, minimizes the complexity, even though the game is actually complex, you're not fighting like 30 different times. You're really putting your deck to test every, you know, only eight times. And usually the first few rounds, the first three, four fights are, you're probably not going to die on those ones. Most of the time, if you die, it's going to be the back half of the game. Um, And so, I mean, I could keep talking, but like there's, they they layer all of this on and on. There's different starting cards or secondary cards. There's so many different iterations of what those rounds might look like. Yeah. A couple of things about the, uh, the way that works, the, um, uh, we mentioned that there's these different clans. You start with sort of two clans unlocked and then you do various things throughout the first, you know, several runs to unlock the rest. Um, I, because, you know, because I am not a god of these sorts of games like Nate, who I believe has unlocked all of the clans and played <laughs> with all of them to some degree, I have played with the first three. Um, but they're all very unique and they all kind of have a gimmick that um, makes sense. But there's even within the clans, there's different potential play styles. Uh, so, for example, each clan has two uh, different heroes or is that what it calls them? I forget. Like champions you know, the champions yeah, yeah. that mm-hmm. you can play as and you can customize your champion in different ways um, your champion is an important unit but not even necessarily vital to your strategy just depending on what you're doing so you can have a champion that is like you know has a special ability and make you know build your whole uh whole gameplay around it or you know it might just not be that important to your your gameplay plan <laughs> one of my happened to me quite a few times one of my favorite champions later that you can get there's a whole deck that's about um playing cards that are called morsels and all they do is mm-hmm. they get they get eaten by who who's ever in the front of the train and there's a whole champion that all it does is it can be eaten multiple times <laughs> and it's so funny <laughs> it doesn't do anything other than get eaten a lot and i just it, like this game has some really inventive mechanics i mean i think there's eight uh eight total decks and each one of them feel very much like their own play style. And then you pair it with a secondary one. And, you know, there's. Yeah, that's really unique here is that like you you get to choose your um, your clan is what they call these. And they're you know, like a pool of cards plus a champion. Um, but you also can pick the secondary like backup clan. And that means it's kind of it kind of reminds me of like, you know, playing a, like a blue white deck or whatever in Magic. Bing. Oh shit! Uh, I did uh, it. Uh, it was me this time. Oh no! Aruga. I'm glad it was you and not me. But I, I will say that is one of the kind of inventive things that was built in to Magic from the very beginning is the idea of 
factions, right? Oh, no, he set them off. And magic started off with those five factions for the five different colors. In later years, they were able to really define multicolor combinations as factions. And so this is one of those things where this kind of game, if you are into magic, you will almost never see something in a game like this that truly surprises you because for practically 30 years, they've been trying to desperately wring every ounce of possible uh, synergy uh, out of magic. But the one thing I thought you were going to say money. Sorry, go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Um, the, The one thing that this does that I've never, never really seen in certainly in magic is the, the, that positional lane based combat element. Um, in most of this kind of game, uh, there is a enemy, and your goal is to just deal damage to that enemy through spells and creatures. Uh, but in this, the ability to set up those little multiple synergistic units on each floor, that's really, really cool. I have never seen that before. And it would be something that you could not really easily port back to something like magic, where you need to be able to fit everything onto a single you know, three inch card. Yeah. And here each battle consists of multiple waves usually, or, you know, I think all Mm -hmm. of them do. Um, Yeah. So that's also, I think kind of unique here. It's, um, uh, and, and that's really good because a lot of, it gives you a lot of cool possibilities for abilities that happen when you kill enemies or abilities that happen when you, you know, when you cast spells or what have you that, you know, you may want to having a bunch of kind of mobs show up before the boss or before the main big meaty part of the fight uh, means that you can have these strategies that revolve around doing a lot of little things first and then building up to something. And you get to do that every time you have one of these battles. Yeah. Set this machine in motion each time. One thing I'm not crazy into in this, I mean, if I can throw a critique out there is that, um, and maybe this is me bringing some of my card game baggage to this game, but this is a game where, there are lots and lots of health bars, right? I tend to not totally love babysitting my little demons um, to see what their level of like hearts are. And in this game, the num- the sheer number of different, like one unit could have uh, regeneration, armor, and a health bar. And all those numbers to some extent matter. And then, you know, can be affected by different things. And then on top of that, you have every other unit, sometimes like a dozen on on screen at once. And on top of that, the one health, the only health bar that really matters, which is the health of your pyre. So, yeah, um, that that's a it's I, kind of a stylistic I, thing. I it, that didn't really bother me that much. It, but you're I mean, that's part of what that like density that I was talking about, especially in the later game when like. You real your deck really needs to be optimized to get through some of the challenge levels. You end up with like a wall of information that I think is provided to you pretty effectively. You know that what Reagan said, like you're always going to see what the end state is. Like so, if if your guy has regeneration, you'll you'll know at the end of this round they're actually going to end up plus five or whatever. But you you have to like. Every uh, every floor, you might have four or five 
things going on there. The max you can have is seven units on a floor. And so I've had runs where I end up with like 21 things on the board and like the, the just time it takes to read that board and, and get through it is pretty intense. And that was actually, we were talking in the discord about like, I, I like a lot of these games. They're good podcast games for me. That's how I ended up playing like so many hours of Slay the Spire. Besides the fact that I love that game, like what I got really just comfortable doing was just like late at night, put on a podcast and play some Slay the Spire. And I found that I could like do those things at the same time. I could not do that with this game. I think for the same reason you're talking about here, Shane, it's just the like, sheer amount of analysis you have to do on every round. Now they balance that because you're only doing eight total fights, you know, but some of these get so complicated that you're like every, you've only got, you know, five cards in front of you and you can only play three of them, but there's 20 of your guys up there, 14 of the, of the demons. And you, you know, you have to play it exactly right. Um, I really, really like that, but it is, it can get dense. Yeah, I can see that. It's, um, it, it, I appreciated that, um, at least, you know, for me when I was, and I, I didn't get as far into this as you did. Um, I, I found it was pretty, uh, forgiving for me if I was like, you know, listening to a podcast or even, you know, trying to get a little work done and playing this on a second monitor. But I bet that if I got into those more advanced levels, like I was still sort of playing through, you know, unlocking the initial, uh, clans. And, you know, if you're on that level, um, this game can definitely be approached that way. Uh, but yeah, if you get into the more advanced stuff like Nate did, for sure, it's going to require more more attention and focus. And I should note, of course, these more uh, these higher challenge ratings are all optional. You know, you, like mm-hmm. you don't have to turn on any of this. So, oh, so- speaking of like uh, of optional challenge, I, one of the things I really really liked about this is the little. So, like it, many games like this have the uh, like the sort of super giant style approach to like opting into additional difficulty, but usually it's it's something where you toggle it for a whole run. But here on a per uh, fight basis, there will be these little uh, optional extra challenge difficulties that you can flip on and off. And you can turn those on, on a per run basis, like, you know, on the, on the, the, or not on a per, per fight basis on the like beginning screen at the beginning of a fight, Mm -hmm. there'll be a little panel that says something like, you know, enemies will come in with, with, you know, level three spikes, if you turn this switch on, but the reward is you get an extra 75 gold at the end yeah. of the, uh, of the fight or something like that. And you can toggle it on a per fight basis. So I might turn it on for some of those early ones when I'm like really cruising through and then turn them off, uh, when I'm, you know, when it's serious time. Yeah. Um, I love that. I love being able to toggle that within a run because you know, what if I have a really bad run or what if I really want to prioritize money, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, and you can also start they give to you good um, info on that. They tell you specifically what the reward is going to be and what the risk is, um, and they do it before you start the game. I, I really like that as well. Yeah, and and um, you know sometimes you'll run into one of those because generally it's like optimal to turn those things on, right? But like you'll run into uh, one of them where, like you said all your enemies have spikes now, you know, that means that when you hit them, you take like four damage and some decks are built where your entire thing is a lot of low health, high hitting, uh, monsters. 
you do not want spikes on because they're just going to kill themselves on the on the enemies when normally you can you're doing other things to avoid them getting hit but you can't avoid them hitting the enemies so it, it adds this level of like is this extra challenge the right one for my deck or not which i think is is really cool um yeah i i thought that was a really cool innovation and allows you to not only take on extra challenge but also it you get direct rewards for it, which makes you even better for the next time. Um, so I have one other thought on like why this game feels more approachable and more maybe openly fun than some of the other games um, that we've talked to, you know, talked about be, besides Slay the Spire, even one of my other favorite roguelikes, uh, which you can ring your little bell here, but I feel like I haven't talked about this game for a while, a while, but uh, FTL, um, <laughs> I, the, I really need to get a soundboard here. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, hey, you know what? You're going to bring up golf. Golf is the original roguelike. Um, yeah. so, uh, <laughs> so, uh, um, most of those games, most roguelikes are a war of attrition. You know, you are like, you are struggling through it. You know, there's moments of victory, but for the most part, it's all about resource management and like just getting through it, trying to get that avalanche rolling where you are, you think you're going to be able to beat the final boss every once in a while. You may steamroll it, but for the most part, those games feel like it's a struggle end to end monster train. I think for a lot of different reasons, um, feels more like power against power. Like your deck is always going to be pretty good, um, but you're fighting a lot of enemies and it's more about like arrangement and, uh, and like just balancing your strength rather than just getting through it. And I think it's a whole mood difference the game just feels more accepting. Even when you die in this game, it doesn't really feel like it's been like a struggle, <laughs> like it might feel, you know, deep into a Slay the Spire run or an FTL run. I agree. Um, it's a definitely a different vibe. I, yeah. I, I felt I felt significantly less despair playing this game. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's intentional, and I think that's why this game is, um, you know, was so beloved, even if it hasn't had necessarily the like national. Or the or like the long standing. I mean, it, it did it did well. I think people. I, I don't know yeah. like the relative like financial successes of these games or anything. And and obviously, Slay the Spire has had a, a longer lead than Monster Train. But um, I still hear people talking about Monster Train quite a bit. And I mean, it it uh, it was nominated for a bunch of awards and won some things. Yeah. Um, just looking at the the Wikipedia, it says it was uh, uh, nominated for uh, the uh, best strategy and tactics game in the game awards of 2020 and you know, yeah. that's, that's a crowded category. It didn't win, but it was, you know, but it's really an honor just to be honest. <laughs> I, um, you know, you know what I think it is. I think it's cause there's so few fights like most of the other games you're being chipped away at over and over and over and over until you die. And you kind of know you're going to die like five fights before it happens in most of these yeah. games. And you're like, Oh, maybe something will happen. That'll turn the tide. Uh, at least my experience so far with Monster Train is that, like, for, like generally you're kind of going and it's, you're going well, and then you just run up into some series of, you know, one of the fights goes horribly wrong, 
whether your deck wasn't optimized for it or, or, or you made a mistake or whatever it is. And then you either die that battle or you're going to die on the next one. And then it's just done. It's not like mm-hmm. this sort of slow beat down, uh, that you experience in, in these other games. Um, and I think mm-hmm. that's great. Some I, of like, the bosses are really designed to basically punish certain deck styles. And, and, and that kind of is one of the things that, I haven't really gotten far enough into it to decide if this is a big, a big issue for me, but there are, there are, it pays off when you're designing this kind of game to build in some kind of, um, count something, some, something to counteract the really strong strategies, the really big synergies, because the player is going to be infinitely inventive in combining things. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't know. I, 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 yeah. I think one one thing about that is that you can look, and this I think is unique to this game. Um, you can not only like look forward on the map, you can look over the entire map, and from the very beginning when you start a run, you can look forward and see what version of the final boss you're going to yeah. be fighting. There are multiple versions of Seraph, the final boss, Actually, and I, I realize assume, that. Yeah, you, yeah, you, you, you can, can scroll down, everything. or it's even just on the screen there, and it and it'll show you which version you're fighting, and not just a name that you have to like remember, like what is Seraph the I forget there's names for them, like the the Ponderous or something. Like no, it'll tell you like what what version with some like explanatory text about like what what this version of Seraph you're going to fight is going to be doing. Um, and so if, you know, if you are thinking like, Oh, I want to do this deck style. And then you look at that list and it's like, Oh, it's that Seraph. Maybe I'll choose a different deck style this time. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's really cool. Also, apparently that wasn't uh, in the game originally. That was like something they patched in after feedback. And that's like, this is, this is a game that did a long early access period and a bunch of meaty free DLC plus one big paid DLC that's come out. I played without the DLC, but with all of the updates. Um, so yeah, I they did a lot of TLC on this. I played the switch version. So I have like the full complement of everything. And there's, there's a whole element with a, uh, optional ninth boss. That's even more challenging. Um, which I really enjoyed. I, you know, I, I really like this game. I think, um, if, if I can do my tiny nitpick, and I think this is a design choice, so they they did it on purpose. But like, um, once you've selected your two uh, your two clans, you have a set of starting cards that you know you're going to get because of the clans you choose, and then they give you three random cards from the two clans, three total cards. So. Um, it could be any combination of the three from those two clans, as far as I can tell. And it's cool because sometimes those are going to be a major part of your starting deck. And so they often dictate uh, like what the entire play style is going to be because these starting three cards, you get multiple copies and there's something like 30 to 50% of your entire deck is this random assortment of cards that was, you know, that you had no selection over. Um, but what can be really annoying is that like, Sometimes there is not all the cards are awesome. Yeah. And there's like inverted like counter synergies where it's like these cards hurt each other or like have have no like you would never select them. And so, uh, you know, I think one of the fun things about this game is it's like or games like this is you have to take what comes your way. Right. That's how that's how you get good at these games. You just deal with what's in front of you. Um, But I wish that in this one moment, like 
give me five in front of me and I get to pick three. Like it's the one time where you have no choice, but it's so influential on the run. Um, I, you know, it's nice sometimes cause it reveals synergies. You didn't know you never would have thought of yourself, but like when they are counter to each other, it almost feels like I don't even want to play this run. And then they like, you know, even if you're getting pretty good at it, like a win, can take like over an hour to two hours. You know, this is a longer game as far as some of these go. So it's like, do I want to commit like an hour and a half to try to like figure out this sort of shitty starting deck? Uh, it's probably not going to work at the higher challenges, you know? And so I just wish you had a little bit of control over that. This is a, you know, picking nits, if you will, but um, it, it stood out to me as like the, seed the game at any time. Yeah, but who wants to do that? Like, you know, a, a, a rogue, like a roguelike deck builder where you're like, oh, bad draw, restart. Like, I'm not going to do that. You know, I'd rather just yeah. like have a thing that lets me have it's the one part where you don't have any control. And I think that that like it stands out, you know, so mm. um, you're a very honorable player. Nate. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I try. So I, I do want to talk about one thing about this game that like is the reason that I almost didn't play it. Uh, and that is the art style, which like the best way I can describe it is like really hearthstone Um it, <laughs> Yes. It, may, may I simply say that it it is I did not think it was possible for a game to make demons dorky like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, it like this is a this is not a mobile game. We haven't talked platforms really. Like this is a game that is it, it's on Steam, uh, you know, Windows, Windows only. I think I don't think there's a Mac version of this. No, yeah, that? it was Windows, yeah, Windows and only? it was Windows and Xbox when it launched, and then yes. sw- then Switch like a year and a half later. Yeah, and it is on Xbox Game Pass. So if you have Game Pass, like this is a no brainer. You download this free part of your subscription. That's what I did. You can pay extra for the DLC, but you know you get. A lot of game here as part of your your Game Pass subscription on either Xbox or PC, which is awesome. Um, but like this, despite this being a console and PC game, this looks mobile AF, right? This uh, like the the characters are these sort of like uh, you know there are animations to them, but they have a little bit of that sort of paper doll movement that feels a little flash gamey. Um, the art style, the illustrations are very like you know shiny goofy demons with the sort of uh like the the hearthstone uh like art pass filter over them right um <laughs> to to it, drill down uh, on that aspect of it a little bit um what i think you're calling the hearthstone style this is just um it's a it's a very common uh like character concept art style and it works for this kind of thing because they don't have to – these aren't like fully 3D rendered characters. So you can go from that level of like an initial character concept art. You see that in the in the design of a lot of stuff. And then what you're kind of seeing there is the Hearthstone style. There is – the UI of this game is incredibly Hearthstone. And Hearthstone really leans into the skeuomorphic um, look – of these cards being uh, like having arched like stone doorway frames and uh, you know, shiny droplets of blood representing things like health and everything having a 
uh, kind of volumetric glow around it. And all of that is, I mean, it's definitely a, a really good style for this kind of thing because it reads well on the yeah. screen. It just is, I mean, there's a reason that skeuomorphic design isn't that popular in UI outside of games anymore. And it's just because it is uh, kind of corny looking when you apply it to a lot of stuff. So I don't know. Also, it's really hard to do artistically. Yeah, I think you're right. It's like it's it's mostly just like they they clearly wanted this is a you know, this is a systems heavy ass game and they needed to present a lot of information clearly and they needed all the characters to be clear and they wanted to add a little bit of personality to them. And so I can see how they arrived at this visual style. I don't think it markets itself very well. Like I, I think that the thing that this game does really well is very hard to show in a tweet or in a GIF or in a screenshot yeah. on Steam. Yeah. Um, and you can show me. <laughs> I'm literally looking at one of my screenshots right now, and it says across the top Heartstone. And <laughs> that's just the, in this case, that's the name of a upgrade that adds 25 health to one of your monsters or whatever. But it, in this screenshot, if if you were to take a look at this, and I did not know it was from Monster Train, I would 100 percent think it was hearthstone it is it is just that similar <laughs> yeah and sometimes the floors get so crowded that like and maybe this is just on the switch i don't know um but like they just like layer on top of each other so it it doesn't even you end up with this like blob of of monsters and angels that are incomprehensible from each other i think like they they do some cool stuff like you know the the bigger monsters that take up more space are physically bigger on the board and and like you know they tend to represent what they kind of will do and and whatnot but yeah i don't think it's an incredibly vi- visually visually appealing <laughs> game and and in fact like so it, we already talked about it a little bit at the beginning but every turn actually like fully plays itself out if it's if it's an axe guy he he will like whip across the screen and like hit them with their axe and then whip back to their spot uh you know if it's a spell caster they'll do like a little thing and then like the damage will hit or like the health will go up or whatever that they do they, it's like lots they're not of glowy particle effects lots yeah. of characters that move one cutout arm <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But like, so they'd spend all this time making all these little animations and whatnot, which is cool. But after the second or third time playing this game, yeah, you, you can see it. Well, and you can, um, there are, you can play this game at different speeds. There are four different speeds where if you put it, uh, it, it's pretty funny. There's like basic speed. And then the next speed is like two little play arrows. The next speed is three little play arrows. And then, like, the maximum speed is just, like, basically the little gasping emoji face. And when you play it at that speed, it's incomprehensible. It still does all the animations, but it moves at a speed where it's, like, why even do it? Just have it, like, pink and have all of, <laughs> have all of the outcomes done. It's, it's almost hilariously fast. And, and I actually didn't play it at that speed because it was almost, like, jarring this like the like all so i'd play it at like the second or third speed but you're not really watching it you already know where it's all gonna go 
it told you before you hit into turn how it's all going to go. Like, I, I felt because like Slate Aspire determinism. That was one of the biggest innovations of Slate Aspire is you right. know what the enemy is going to do on their next turn. Yeah. And uh, the, that is a, a really excellent choice that this carries over and that I think pretty much every game following it in this genre has yeah. has tried but, to imitate. But I don't need to see my little guy cross the screen and do a one one you know animation smack when there are going to be at the end of the game hundreds of these things because there's so many little fights. Um, yeah, it, it, that yeah. was pretty funny to me. It's like they made it realized it's not as fun as it like they thought it would be so they added in the speed up thing you know later and everyone just realized that and did it yeah yeah i mean this game would take so much longer without that feature i wonder what came first there are a lot of games that really benefit by turning off the battle animations yeah um yeah i agree i guess that's fair a lot of games have like not interesting unnecessary battle animations so yeah, it's like one falls right in RPGs a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I have a question. Do you think this is a better game than Slay the Spire? I'll accept answers from everybody. <laughs> is this better? That's such a hard thing to answer, but my um you know, I, I don't really like to like straight up like stack rank as much as I can avoid it. That said, which of your children do you <laughs> yeah. like? best that said i do think that i enjoy slay the spire more than this game um but i've spent this like an hour now talking about how great this game is so i I think it's awesome but like i there's something about the like simplicity at least compared to this of slay the spire that i love um and i don't know maybe i'm maybe i'm I'm very much reminded of this like web comic where it's like um, you know, it's sort of a meme of somebody like holding their cake that they've just baked and looking at someone else's and thinking their cake is better than mine. And then the, there's someone looking at, you know, the person that they're serving these cakes to is like, shit. Yeah. Two cakes. Like, <laughs> the, yeah. The, yeah. The, like it, it, it doesn't matter which one is better. And I'm sure it'll vary person to person. Um, I, I would say that I I have played neither of these enough to really feel like I can definitively say which one is better, but it's it, if I had to choose which one to sit down and play today, part of this might be recency bias, I would definitely choose um, Monster Train uh, because I felt like I grokked it better than I did uh, Slay the Spire even on my best day. Um, but then again, that's me, right? And yeah. uh, I'm not that great at this this genre and my, you know, I, so anyway, take that for what it's worth. Um, but uh, I, I would say like, if you are, if you know you like deck building games, this is, it's not so vast of a genre that you can be that choosy, right? Yeah, I, I, would, I mean, I think, I think mm-hmm. like, even though there's some obvious influences and some overlapping, like this is an incredibly different game than Slay the Spire, mm-hmm. you it know? Is. And I don't, I, I think like, if you like the genre, then you're going to like both of them. I think if you've never played any of them before and you're looking for an entry point into a complex deck building roguelike, uh, you know, this might be a better gateway. And if you can grasp this and understand it and get deep in it, then I think you'll be set up for it with some good skills that will make you successful at Slay the Spire and vice versa. Yeah. But like, I can see why this game might be a little more immediately approachable. 
um, than Slay the Spire. So, uh, quick wrap up. Uh, this was Monster Train. You can find it on uh, Xbox and PC. You can. It's on Steam as well as part of the Xbox Game Pass on both Xbox and PC. So if you're a member of those services, you can download this there. Uh, and you can also get the complete edition on the Switch. Um, I believe I'm just looking at was looking at the Steam page, and I think it's a $25 game at full price. But it seems to go on. It's you're know, at the stage where it's going on sale pretty frequently. So if you haven't bought it by now and you don't have Game Pass, uh, you can probably snap this up on sale if you uh, if you wait. I think we just missed the Halloween sale, but I know there's holiday sales coming. Um, but yeah, I would recommend this to anybody who likes the genre. And especially if you've got Game Pass, this is a no-brainer. Download it. Check it out. You're going to love it. Um, but, uh, anybody have any last thoughts before we uh, roll into what's making us happy this week? No, I play this game it's tight yeah it is indeed tight i will say i think uh i think if you liked this you're really gonna like inscription which we're doing soon <laughs> yeah yeah i can't wait i it, we're really like uh, I, in terms of episode planning uh i am a little mad that we didn't get inscription a little sooner um so that we could have made it our halloween game it's looking like everything we would have wanted for that um, but also the fact that then, you know, we had already planned to do this uh, monster train here in the schedule. Uh, I really, really want to do inscription and I want to do it soon, but I didn't want to bump monster train. And I also can't really bump IF comp. So we're going to be talking about inscription soon, but we're going to have some IF comp uh, as a palette cleanser. So we don't do two deck building roguelikes in a row, but I'm pretty sure these are different enough. Inscription is uh, its own thing in a big way. So looking forward to talking about that uh, pretty soon. Uh, so what's making you happy this week? Nate, what's making you happy this week? Yeah. So I've got two things. I'm going to keep them both quick though. Um, first of all, I, uh, speaking of, you know, longer games, I haven't played a like RPG game. I think the last one I played, at least like, you know, full on Western style RPG. Um, I think the last one I played was breath of the wild. If you even like count that in that genre and obviously it masterpiece, one of my favorite games of all time. I think before that was like Skyrim. So I'm, I never play these long grand sweeping, you know, third person, uh, you know, action games. Uh, but I got a PS five, Recently, I've been looking for good games to play on it. I played through Spider-Man. I talked about that already. I got it for free, Horizon Zero Dawn. So I've started playing that, and it's awesome. I, you know, I, I had a lot of options in front of me because I've never played any of these games, and this one just seemed the most appealing, and it's been great. So really excited about that. In four years when I finish it, I will tell <laughs> I will I will tell you all about it. Yeah, just in time for the sequel, which is coming out next year, right? They delayed it into next year. Yeah, there's no I you know, there's no way I'm going to <laughs> get You're through not back it. to back them. No, I I will be like hopefully a third of the way through this game by time uh you know that comes out. But um but I'm loving it. It's awesome. It's it's a really cool game. Uh Robot Dinosaurs. I mean, come on. 
Anyway, uh, so the other thing I, I really I really liked. It. I never finished that one, but like I really yeah. liked I really liked the robot dinosaurs that looked like the big like tall like um what do you call those you know the big but they have the big dish for a I head. just I just got to one of those for the first time. It's called a, a tall neck. Yeah, uh, those things are sick. What a cool design. Which I think it well what stood out to me is like basically every game, just every open world game now seems to at least the two that I've played. They're like, how do we do the Assassin's Creed thing where you get them really high up onto something and that like unlocks part of the map, right? Uh, Breath mm-hmm. of the Wild had the towers and then this game has slow moving, roaming, gigantic <laughs> dinos- dinosaurs, dinosaurs, which is Super great. good yeah. way to do it. Like yeah. there's so much more interesting than climbing a tower is climbing yeah. a huge fucking dinosaur. Yeah, That's it's awesome. awesome. Yeah, I agree. I was like, that was my first thought was like, this is the best anyone has done with this trope at this point. So, um, yeah. But uh, the thing I really wanted to talk about is I just got back from a short trip to the West Coast. I went to a wedding in uh, Northern California. But as part of that, I spent a very filled 24 hour or like 20 hours in San Francisco. And one of the things that we did, uh, Reagan, I'm sure you've been here. If you haven't, I'd be very surprised. I went to the Molly and I went to the Musée Mechanique. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. yeah it's rules. Yeah. I love that place. Um, Amazing. Which is like over by Fisherman's Wharf, like tucked away mm-hmm. in the corner of this, like of like the touristy spot of San Francisco is this like warehouse of old arcade games. And uh, like warehouse is the best way to describe it because they are just like crammed in there. And it has... Um, you know, stand what you'd expect from like old arcade games, which is cool. You've got your old ass pinballs and your Tetrises and all the you know Atari Namco stuff from the eighties and all all things you'd expect. Um, but it also has like I guess, and you know, this was pretty new to me. I guess there was a period of time where a like popular attraction was just like you'd put in change you know whatever it costs at the time they've been retrofitted to be like quarters and stuff now but i assume they didn't start that way and it would be just like a little show of little mechanized like dolls doing something and that Mm -hmm. would be that would be the whole thing you know so in this case the one that stood out the most to us was it was 50 cents put it in and it was called execution and it was a, <laughs> I remember that one. It was a like it was oh, no, it's called London Execution. And so what you're looking at is like a big old uh, London style like old mansion. And when you put in the money, the front doors would open, and you'd see inside a um, like a hangman's galley, right? And all these little little like figurines, you know, like moved up to it. Someone got the uh, noose put around their neck and then it goes chunk and they fall and, and all the little figure, you just hear a little sound effect of like, ah, and then the door slams shut and like, that's it. You know, that was what you paid for. Um, and there were all sorts of these, like, you know, there's just like a recreation of a sawmill and you put in 50 cents and like the little saws get going, a little log rolls down and, you know, gets moved around and there was it's like 
in, incredible in stuff. Yeah. And little like little like old school film viewers where you have to peek in through a thing yeah. and see a little peep show for a nickel or whatever. All yeah. that stuff well, is great. I, I didn't run into any peep shows, but um, yeah, oh, you, you know. missed out. Buddy. You missed out. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was it was truly unique, and also it was funny because like probably twenty percent of the machines didn't work, uh, and so it's like the warehouse feeling really uh, really seemed fitting. Like you'd put the money in, and then just nothing would happen. You're like, all right, well, this thing's probably like fifty, sixty years old. All right, I guess I'll go to the next one, but. Uh, yeah. It was it was a it was a ton of fun. It was it was very unique, um, very strange. Uh, there was all these old baseball arcade games or you know bar games or whatever that I played and was terrible at. Most of them hardly worked. But uh, if you're ever in San Francisco, like totally recommend it. It was way better than what I you know the other like museum style things that were around there. So. Yeah, it's a great place. It's not like I, I I was expecting more arcade arcade stuff. Like it's really not focused on arcade. No, games. it's not. It's very focused on the mechanical entertainment stuff from yeah. the 1910s and the 20s <laughs> and some. Uh, yeah. And in in that way it's like really amazing that they're preserved as well as they are in a in a state where you could just actually just go up and play them or you know, put a coin in and see what they do. It's really incredible. There was one that, that was just a a cool lamp pay a quarter to see a cool lamp (laughs) yeah right it was awesome yeah big fan yeah i love the little like fortune telling machines and things that stuff's great yeah we both that rules we both got our fortunes and read them at the bar later that night uh it was great well speaking of uh of uh mechanical entertainments uh, on a level, uh, I was just going to briefly say that the thing that's made me most happy this week and through most of October uh, was that while so you may remember last year, there was a, a mania, an absolute mania for the Home Depot 12 foot skeleton. Of course. Um, so I wanted a Home Depot 12 foot skeleton so bad, uh, but they've been out of stock everywhere, um, have been in unobtainable. Um, but the same company makes an eight foot version, which is still a goddamn big skeleton. And um, Best Buy had that this year. Uh, and so I got the eight foot version of the Home Depot 12, 12 foot skeleton. <laughs> and uh, we loved it. It's really great. Uh, it cost me $300. Oh my. It was worth every, <laughs> worth every penny. Don't tell my wife how much it costs. Um, and so it's, it's eight feet tall. It's a it's a large plastic skeleton. It stands on a, on a metal stand. Uh, you can pose its arms. It has LCD screens in the eyes, so it looks like it has eyeballs that like look around and blink in a very unsettling way. And its its jaw is also automated, so it moves along with. It has a, a voice box, and it'll say various corny dad jokes about bones, and uh, and it will uh, you know talks and and whatnot. Uh, and uh, my daughter fell in love with it. Uh, uh, she named it uh, Good Big Friend. And, uh, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Good Big Friend stood on our yard for all of Halloween and um, made our house easily the most impressive Halloween display in our little subdivision, uh, which made me happy. Uh, nice. So I wanted to recommend to everyone that, you know, it may seem silly to spend a lot of money on a very large skeleton, uh, but it is the gift that keeps on giving. And I'm trying to decide now whether I can get my wife to let me get away with uh, using it for other holidays as well. I'm thinking about putting a Santa suit on Good Big Friend uh, for Christmas. 
maybe dressing him up as a turkey here for this month. I haven't taken him down yet. Maybe I can do that. Um, so if you have other suggestions about ways that I can incorporate good big friend yeah. uh, into other, other aspects of our life, let me know. We have a four foot version of the 12 foot Home Depot uh, skeleton that doesn't <laughs> that doesn't have any of the uh, mechanical parts, and his name is Jojo, and he's a big hit. And when he, when he's not out front, he often is sitting at my drum set down in the basement, and it's great. <laughs> nice. I mean, if you think about it, all of us have a, a short version of the Home Depot 12 yeah. foot skeleton, yeah, uh, in our inside of us. Yep. So. That's how I think about it. All we all have a wet version of the 12 foot <laughs> skeleton inside of us. Mm-hmm. Shane, what's making you <laughs> gross? <laughs> well, I don't know if you heard about this, but uh, the Astros are in the World Series. Nate's a big uh, baseball fan here, too. So I, I'm sure, Nate, you, you've been. Have you been keeping up with the World Series, Nate? I hope you're not, look, I hope you're not looking at it right now, Shane. <laughs> I'm, I am. I, it, it has been making me happy up until right this minute where we're down by six. Um, yeah, we are re- six. The last time I looked, we are recording. We are recording as the World Series is nearing its end. Um, well, but I don't I don't mean to. Uh, I always I do to. enjoy watching. Um, yeah. You know, we the last time we were in the World Series was uh, was a few years ago. And there are some there are some people who <laughs> maybe contest some of the results uh but i think we had a really good world series last time um and uh this time around just i'm just gonna we're just I'm gonna really leave that alone a, we're, a i'm gonna leave it alone i'm just gonna Shane. i'm just gonna, <laughs> gonna walk right past that uh that trash can but uh, hey. the um the the thing that i'm really enjoying about it this time is you, you know that i am very much a regular down in my local games cafe, Coral Sword. Shout out! Yeah, play the sound again. Is, What's the sound of? Is, uh, can you play a conch shell like a? And, yeah. <laughs> Just do the sound of a of a baseball bat hitting a trash can. Um, <laughs> the um, uh, down at down at Coral, the uh, the person who started the the shop is. Uh, Hunter Pence, and he has been in town uh, for the series, and so he's been hanging out down at Coral. And um, you know, this is not the first time I've gotten a chance to to hang around and and play cards uh, with Hunter, but uh, it's always a, a real blast. And I've just been doing like two very core geek things uh, at the same time. Uh, I've had three days in a row, the first three games, where I was playing Magic and watching. Uh, the World Series at the same time. So uh, that was an absolute blast. <laughs> Probably not everyone is aware who that is. So uh, he is former all-star, you know, played for the Astros, played, won a World Series, a couple, I believe. Uh, big, big. Yeah, fi- he won two with the Giants. Big, big famous baseball player, which is awesome that you're hanging out with him at a Magic the Gathering uh, place, you know. He's an absolutely incredible gamer. I, I have still never beaten him uh, at anything. So that is one of my long-term goals. I did run D&D for him one time. That was a real absolute blast. Uh, he and his wife and his uh, brother-in-law were in that I'm going to get in that game, Shane. I'm coming down next time you do that Well, I that talked game. to him about running another game. Uh, if, I do, if I do one online, maybe I'll uh, get you in there. You know it. I'll... I'll quit my job to come down. <laughs> <laughs> <That would be awesome. laughs> 
<laughs> awesome. Pretty sweet. Well, listeners, thank you for joining us on this episode of The Short Game. Uh, we are glad you were here. You can find us on the internet at www.theshortgame.net where you can find all of our back episodes. Uh, I mention this every now and then because a lot of folks don't seem to know. Uh, our uh, CMS really only lets us have the most recent 150-ish, I think, episodes available in your podcast app. But this show has been going much longer than that. We're closing in on episode 300 here. Wow. Pretty Look at soon. us go. Yeah, so if you want to listen to older episodes or if you're curious if we might have covered a game, you can go to theshortgame.net. An easiest thing to do is you go to our show notes page, which gives you a page that sort of has a big scrollable blog style view of all of our page. And there's a there's a search box there. So if you are curious, did they cover X or Y game back when it came out or at some point over the last what is it now, seven years, you can do a search there and it'll search through all of our show notes over all of our history. Uh, And if there are episodes from our back catalog that are not available in your podcast app, you can listen to them uh, there. Uh, Of course, you you can pull that up on your mobile browser or whatever, and it uh, works just fine, I promise. Uh, And uh, I am am investigating uh, new uh, CMS solutions to potentially uh, make that problem less of a problem, but that is our that is our uh, current situation. 150 most recent episodes. That's what y'all mostly listen to anyway. But the whole history is there. Um, and uh, let's see. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at underscore short game. Uh, you can find us on Patreon. The most important way to support the show is to go to patreon.com slash the short game. And you can support us for any amount you'd like. We love money. But if you uh, <laughs> want to send us uh, even just a dollar a month, uh, the the minuscule amount, uh, you won't even notice it. Then you immediately get access to our Discord, which is where we chat about the show. And if you support us at the $5 level, then I will send you some stickers and you'll love that. What a deal, Reagan. Uh, yes, I They're know. They're nice stickers. Uh, They're very you. nice. I made them myself by ordering them online. Uh, if you if you subscribe at $10, Reagan will send you his Nintendo Switch that has a sticker on it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, so let's see. Uh, Twitter underscore short game. Me on Twitter. You you can find me at Reagan K. That's R A Y G A N K. Nate, where can people find you? On Twitter at Nate S T L. And Shane, where can people find you? On Twitter at Eight Bit Shane. And once again, listeners, thank you so much for. Oh, oh and uh, we'll be back next week, most likely with more IF Comp to close out the year's competition. Um, and if you have suggestions for things that we must, must, must cover before the end of the year, because we're rolling into GOTY season here pretty soon, uh, let us know. Good time to to, to tell us what uh, what we've be, been fools to overlook, because uh, we only have so long to correct our ways. So let us know before the end of the year, uh, before our episodes get fully planned. So uh, thanks for all of the suggestions that have been coming in through our Discord and Twitter uh, over the last few weeks. Thank you, guys. And once again, uh, thank you for listening to The Short Game.